Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. Jake and I are back. Mike will be joining us later when we get to our Badgers discussion. But today, uh, we got a lot more Brewers to discuss. So more Brewers discussion from Jake and I. We have seven games to cover. As usual, we're going to start with our power pairs and underrated performers. Um, and then we are going to talk about all the games. We're going to highlight some of the the play by some of the recent, I shouldn't say recent, but some of the acquisitions that Matt Arnold came in with uh, since the trade deadline and uh, even more recently than that. And then we have the Badger game from Georgia Southern, the win, back in the win column, and then we're going to preview their upcoming Friday night game, which is weird yeah, to say. That's so weird. It is super weird. Um, the Friday night game with the Purdue Boilermakers, um, we will be live during that game. Uh, talking about the Packers, because Friday night is when we do our Packers shows. So might have to uh, split screen us and the Badgers. But, Jake, you ready to uh, talk some Brewers? I am. Um, we're hitting the home stretch here. So we got uh, – we're, we're still playing good baseball, I feel like, even though we took a couple L's, consecutive L's this week. But I still think that they're, you know, putting some good at-bats together, pitching well. I mean, they're they're still playing good. I'm not worried about them one bit. So. Uh, with that being said, let's get into our power pair. My power pair position player, I went with Sal Freelich. And before I get into the numbers, I hate that we have to call him Freelich now because I like calling him Freelich. I feel like that's a cooler name. I don't know why. But Freelich uh, is who I went with. Nine of 24 this past week. Three runs, two doubles, two RBIs, three walks, one stolen base, and only one strikeout. For the Italian stallion. Nice. Uh, that's a 375 batting average, a 444 on base percentage, a 458 slugging percentage, and a 903 OPS. So you could say he's been playing pretty damn good. And also, as always, giving us a defense, right? Then we get into my power pair pitcher. That's a, I had, I had to sound that one out. Otherwise, that would have been a tongue tire. Uh, I went with uh, Freddie Peralta. I know that he lost the game. Hi, Tim. But 
he did pitch well, in my opinion. It, it was considered yep. a quality start. Uh, okay. Six innings, four hits, one earned run, zero walks, and six strikeouts. That's a 1.50 ERA and a 0.67 whip. So he still was doing his thing. And then my underrated performer was Carlos Santana. Uh, the guy's just steady Eddie, in my opinion. He, you know what you're going to get from him, and that's honestly a good feeling. Um, six of 22. Four runs, one double, two home runs, three RBIs, three walks, and only three strikeouts for Carlos Santana. So good eye from him and Freelick this week. 273 average, 346 on base percentage, a 591 slug, and a 937 OPS. He touches a lot of bases. Damn, that is a lot of bases. <laughs> All right, so speaking of guys touching a lot of bases, my power hitter position player, I went with William Contreras. Uh, he's on a seven-game hitting streak right now. So he's about – I mean, he's literally three games away from having his third double-digit hitting streak of the season, which is Jesus. wild if he's able to pull that off, which is funny because I said wild and they call him Wild Bill. So <laughs> unintended, but I'll take it. Um, I will um, – I'll say what I want to say about William Contreras for when we talked about that, that game specifically. But for my power pitcher and underrated performer, I wanted to highlight a couple of bullpen guys. So for my power pitcher, I went with Abner Uribe. He made four appearances over the last week, uh, pitched four innings, did not give up any hits, and only gave up one walk with three strikeouts. So good work by Abner Uribe. Somebody we really didn't figure was going to be as big a part of the plan as Abner Uribe has become, especially now with Elvis Paguero going on to the injured list today for the next 15 days. Um, and they actually, it's retroactive to the 17th, which is Sunday. Uh, so it'll be 12 days from today, um, not 15. So he'll be ready before the playoffs. Um, and then for my underrated performer, I went with Mr. Underrated Performer. The reason we do this segment for all of the teams we cover, Holby Milner, um, Mr. Underrated Performer himself made three appearances over the last week, pitched two and a third innings, zero hits, zero walks, no base runners against Hobie Miller, just nothing doing. He comes into the game. You feel very comfortable. Uh, leads the bullpen in appearances, which we will talk about. But let's start with, with game three. So before we jump into this, I just want to give uh, Jake and I just a little pat on the back. Not a big one because we were off by a game, but we both predicted five and two weeks last week. Uh -huh. We predicted to lose one to the card, one to the Marlins, and split the first two with the Cardinals. But we did both predict a sweep over the Nationals. But I mean, we predicted four and or five and two, and we we were four and three. So close, but close. Let's start with uh, last Wednesday. All these games that the Brewers lose are winnable games too. They never get blown out. So I feel like that's why people get crabby about it. And I and I want to talk about that when we talk about the third Marlins game. But yeah. it's not a big deal. Well, we're going to talk about the third Marlins game right now. So or the let's... third Nationals game. That's what I said. I think that's what I meant. I don't know if that's oh. what I said, but that's what I meant. Okay. I was just going to say, we're going to talk, we'll talk about, the about people lining in a bunch of segments. So, <laughs> yeah. And then well, we'll, uh, we'll give for some perspective on why you should stop crying about the additions that we made. Mm, uh, just in general. Deadline. Yeah. So, <laughs> in general. So, in this one, uh, we got a what's up, y'all? Daniel Taylor, how we doing? Yeah, I just called you Daniel. Um, we got the taste of Trevor McGill as the starter and Colin Ray coming in in the second inning. And I think this was – I think because it went so well this time is why they went with it again. 
So I, I had no complaints the first time around. One inning pitch, one hit for McGill, uh, 1K. Uh, Colin Ray came in, gave you four and two-thirds, four hits, one earned run, one walk, three strikeouts. So, I mean, Colin Ray, every time he comes in, he gives the team a chance to win the game. And that's literally all you can ask for from a guy that's going to pitch multiple innings. That's right? actually what Brandon Woodruff says every time he's interviewed. He said, I just want to pitch and give the team a chance to win. So yeah, for you and- to say that about Colin Ray, and that's the way that Brandon Woodruff approaches his starts, I will take that. Yeah, but in, so that's the thing. That, that's the, how I feel about Adrian Hauser, too. Is like, here's the thing about Adrian Hauser, though. He's either completely shutting you down where you have no chance against that sinker or it just gives up five runs. Like, there, there is there is no in-between. And him. it's not 50-50 either. Like, he's, like, two really shut down and then one kind of eh. And then, like, two, like, six innings, two earned runs or less appearances. Yeah. He it's just, not that it's one or the other. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, like you said, it's not like every other start. It's like, oh, he gives up five runs, and then he shuts you down for zero runs. No, it's – he consistently is a good pitcher, obviously. Yeah. He's a starter in the MLB, which is, like, honestly hard to do. So, um, yeah, I'll send you guys photos from Miami. I'll be there Friday and Saturday for the games. Miller Park, Mike, live from Miami. Love nice. to hear that. Love to hear nice. that. Uh, we'll post them on the page for you if uh, you keep them uh, appropriate for all ages. <laughs> but Colin Ray, he was tremendous. Um, Shafin, yes, I'm going to call him Shafin, uh, was good in this one. Uh, z- 0.2 innings, so two-thirds of an inning, one hit, one earned run, one K. And uh, Bryce Wilson, again, this guy just – He's he is the he's the Hobie Miller this year, in my opinion. Uh two and two thirds innings pitch, two hits, zero earned runs, one walk, two K's. The Brewers didn't score a run in this one. They didn't hit with runners in scoring position. It happens. They left nine people on base. So it's not for lack of getting on base. Just sometimes you just don't cash in. It is what it is. It's just like it's usually a matter of of them not being strung together, is really what yeah. I'm boiling down to. Uh, Christopher is excited for stats in all caps. Um, so Taylor said he's surprised we sent Ray down, but happy to see Julio on track to come back. Julio was activated today. Uh, that was part of the moves. Uh, Colin Ray being sent down is just one of those things where there's going to be shuffling of the roster as the team begins preparing for the playoffs. So I think we might see Colin Ray make one more start and then whether or not he makes the playoff roster is really going to depend on the health of the bullpen. In my opinion, um, whether they try to piggyback any starters together, we'll we'll see when the playoff roster comes out. But Ray is one of those guys who's going to be kind of on that bubble as far as the playoff roster goes. Um, and Julio Tehran, another one who is basically on that same bubble. It's really, in my opinion, going to come down to who's healthy um, in the bullpen. I was going to wait, but since you were, were bringing playoffs up, I had a question I wanted to ask you. So. There's predictions that the Brewers are going to play the Cubs in the wild card round. We're going to host them, right? So I'm, I wanted to ask you what your confidence level on us beating them in that wild card round, like out of 10. Like, give me a number range. Well, I'd say like a seven. Okay. So I'm more like an eight. I think we could beat them. I think that would be a tremendous baseball series. That'd be good for baseball to have yeah, you yep, know, a, li- a little rivalry in wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, although, a part of me is kind of hoping that the the Reds kind of sneak in there because then I that's like a ten and a half confidence level. 
So then I started talking to my my guy at work about um, my confidence level of them beating the Dodgers in the next round. And I was like, I really can see them beating the Dodgers. I like truly can. I'm like, when you look at the construction of the team, you look at the top three starters, um, the Dodgers, who the heck was the guy? Urias. They had a pitcher, Urias, who's kind of, yep. eh, he was one of their better guys. And he was a lefty. So that was kind of an Achilles heel for us, seriously. Um, but he's out of baseball right now. So I was like, bro, I'm honestly at like a seven, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, yeah, how you um, Christopher said baseball is October is fun. I'm glad the Brewers balled this year. I don't think anybody had the Brewers six up in the division with two weeks to go in the season. I don't no think way. there's anybody that predicted that. No, neither do us. Not, <laughs> I was saying, not even not even a month and a half ago when the trade deadline was over and we were talking to Vinny Artino, did we think that this was going to be not over, but, I mean, the Brewers' magic number is six. Yeah. So um, Taylor said oh. he did. Just <laughs> JK. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask for you to show me your receipts. Yeah, but, a liar. Um, so third game of the Marlins series. Top of the first inning. Uh, the best hitter in baseball started with a double. That's Luis Arias. This yep. will happen again. Um, so following this, a strikeout, a single, a sack fly, and a strikeout. Um, game was one to nothing after that. After that, I mean, a bunt single in the first inning, or in the fifth inning, not the first inning, fifth inning, um, a fielder's choice, and then another single made the game two to one. A pair of flyouts after that. Uh, Elvis Paguero pitched a 1-2-3-6 with two Ks. Abner Uribe went 1-2-walk-3 in the seventh. Yoel Piamps went 1-2-single-3 in the eighth. And then Devin Williams went pitched a 1-2-3-ninth on 11 pitches, zero stress. Um, so, no, sorry. I'm reading the wrong game. My bad. I had game three written on two games. <laughs> <laughs> all right anyways back to back to game three not game four arias did lead this game off with a single though um trevor mcgill only needed nine pitches to then follow that with a one two three inning colin ray came after that a one two three second inning with two strikeouts top of the third josh donaldson made a really nice pick on a grounder um colin ray threw a pitch that turned Luis arias into an aluminum can and just crumbled him in the batter's box. So that was really impressive to see from Colin Ray. Um, that was part of a one, two, three inning. Uh, the fifth inning, a leadoff single got to second on Carlos Santana falling into the dugout, making a catch. It's just one of those things where the ball technically went out of play. So the runner gets yeah. to advance, scored on a two out single. Kind of is what it is. Um, Chafin started the seventh with a strikeout looking, uh, gave up a double, and then Bryce William came. Bryce Wilson came in, gave up another double that made the game two to zero. Um, the story of this game for the Brewers, they had runners on base in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, and eighth innings. Oh. So all but two. They grounded the double plays three times. Yep. Um, Marlins do lead Major League Baseball in double plays, so it does make sense. Uh, of those seven innings that the Brewers had runners on, five of them were leadoff hitters. So five times out of seven uh, leadoff guys were on. And then the nine runners left on base that you mentioned, the Brewers struck out 12 times with runners on base. 
Gross. That's that to me is where the uh, the nine left on base comes from is not in, not even putting the ball in play. Yeah. Uh, this was only the third time the Brewers have been shut out in the entire second half of the season, so I don't think it's a a trend or indicative of what the rest of the season holds or the playoffs. Um, basically, I'll just throw this out there because we're going to talk about it in another game. Um, using Trevor McGill as a, an opener essentially takes a high leverage inning later, moves it to the beginning, and it uh, gives you the opportunity to have Colin Ray pitch from the four through nine batters one extra time and can maybe help him go a little bit longer. So that's, that's essentially the, the rationale there. Um, so let's go to let's go to game four from the Marlins. This is last Thursday. Yeah, Brewers got back in the win column in this one, so that was nice. Um, Adrian Hauser started this one, got his sixth win of the year. He's six and four in the year now. Uh, five innings pitch, five hits, two earned runs, no walks, only one walk for the entire pitching staff, and that was from Uribe, um, and five strikeouts. Uh, the team had eight uh, – pitching staff had eight strikeouts as a unit, gave up two earned runs and six hits total. So, I mean – Pretty dang good stuff. Paguero came in this one. Zeros across the board. Two two strikeouts. Uribe, only the one walk. Uh, Pineapps gave up a hit and had 1K. And Devin Williams got his 34th save of the season. So, scoring-wise in this one, uh, Tyrone Taylor was the offense, in my opinion. He was the jump starter and the finisher. So, um, he had two doubles up to 12 on the year. Uh, got – Two RBIs from those doubles, uh, 26 RBI in the year for him. Telez had a sacrifice fly. He's up to 45 RBI. Sal Freelich uh, had a two-out knock, uh, up to 21 RBIs. Contreras and Donaldson also had doubles. Two doubles now for Donaldson, 34 doubles for Contreras. And they were three for 12 runners in scoring position. So this is more – I don't expect them to be three for 12 because that's not like great percentage-wise, but I expect them to have a lot of people on base and have a lot more opportunity. So I'm okay with the opportunity number. I'm not okay with the cashing in number. I would like that around more like five for 12. I can live with five for 12. Well, let me ask um, you this. Would you rather that? be, let's say, let's say four for 12. We'll meet you in the middle. Okay. Four for 12, say batting 333. Or would you rather be, say, three for six to be batting 500 with the run of the scoring position? Oof. It's a really easy answer. That's a that's a that's a that's a situational question. I feel like, I mean, I'd rather be three for six, but um, I wouldn't. You'd rather be you'd rather be four for. I'd rather have more hits with runners in scoring position because that means you're putting more runners in scoring position than to have a higher percentage. Well, I mean that's that's fair, but I feel like if you can score early, the Brewers have a bullpen where they can. You know what I mean? That's kind of where right. the situation. My thing, what I where I come into this is more opportunities only increases your upper your more increases your expected run output is what I would oh, say. Oh right, that's and you know I do agree because that's why I said the you know we had twelve runners in scoring position. So I mean lots of opportunities. You're not gonna mm-hmm. you're not gonna be mad at all the opportunities. People, you know, we had a game later in this week. I don't remember what game it is, but uh, oh yeah, okay. But we went one for 11 with runners in scoring position. And people are like, oh, my God, only one for 11. It's like, dude, we're getting people in position to score. Right. That's like half the damn paddle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you can't yeah you can't fix stupid you know what they say can't win them all <laughs> anyways go ahead buddy all right so now this is where the best hitter in baseball started with a double um Luis Arias, he's an absolute monster. He really yeah. is. He's a great baseball player. No way to dance around that. Um, then a strikeout and a single and a sack fly scored him. They made the game one to zero. Fifth inning, a bunt single, fielder's choice in a single, made the game two to one Marlins. Uh, a pair of flyouts followed. And then, like I said before, incorrectly, Elvis Figueroa, one, two, three, six with two strikeouts. Abner Uribe, a one, two, walk, three, seventh inning. You all pie them, so the one, two, single, three, um, eighth inning, and then Devin Williams, the ninth inning, 11 pitches to go one, two, three, zero stress. Um, so the leadoff batter was only on base twice the entire game for the Marlins. I like that. Um, three of the five were, sorry, three of Adrian Helzer's five strikeouts were looking. Mm-hmm. So that's impressive for Adrian Helzer. And then the bullpen, four innings pitched, one hit, one walk, zero runs, and three strikeouts. So yeah, great work by the bullpen. Um, got, not fucking around. Yeah. Uh, got some BS in the comments. Um, right. Some literal BS. <laughs> so the fourth inning is really where the Brewers did basically most of their damage. Uh, William Contreras... Sorry, not, not the fourth. That's the fifth inning. I'm getting ahead of myself. The fourth inning, William Contreras led off with a double, tagged to third on a flyout by Willie Adamas. Um, <laughs> dove into third base. Not the most graceful slide that I have ever seen. Uh, he kind of tumbled in and just kind of had the the back of his hand resting on the base. I mean, it's not pretty, but it worked for William Contreras. So that's yeah. it works. Um, followed by a Rowdy Tellez sack fly that tied the game at one. Andre Monasterio in the fifth inning let off with a single. Bryce Durang sacrificed bunt. Uh, the strategy there seemed to be just to tie the game to get the starter out. Um, Tyrone Taylor fouled out with a double that was a couple feet away from being a home run to the bullpen. That tied the game at two. Sal Freelich fouled with a single to right field. Tyrone Taylor, another great slide. I said it last week. I think he he's the Brewers' best slider on the team. Um, Head first, feet first, doesn't matter. Tyrone Taylor is going to be safe. Um, Taylor said it doesn't matter how you get there. All that matters is you got there. That's 100%. Um, originally called out, which I don't know if it was a horrible angle um, by the home play umpire or what, but Tyrone Taylor wasn't even close to being tagged. So that play was challenged and then uh, was ruled safe. That made the game 3-2. to two. Um, Do you remember what I said to you about that? Brett said, I was biting my fingers, though. I hate it when they dive head first. Mitchell, yeah, happy when he's rehabbing. And Woodruff years ago. That was uh, Jimmy Nelson that uh, got hurt on first base. But it's it's more accurate, especially at home plate, where it's flat and level, as opposed to diving into second base where there's a bump. Um, So at home plate, it doesn't bother me as much. But uh, go ahead. Uh, I, I remember telling, uh, we were talking during the game and I was like, I understand why the ump called that because of what the angle that he was at. But dude, you can't put yourself in that position to make us burn our fucking challenge. That's uh-huh. trash to me. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason he was originally called out was because the ball was there kind of first 
and he saw the guy moving his arm and swiping. So he's like, oh, he probably tagged him. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, you can't make a, a, a probably or a guess. It's not right. an educated guess situation. This is a right or wrong situation. You know what I mean? Uh, so, eight, seventh inning, Bryce Durang let off with a single, stole second base, his 22nd stolen base of the season, which is impressive for a guy who spent almost a month in AAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tyrone Taylor hit another double, made the game 4-2. to two. Now, what I want to throw out here is just a few takeaways. One, Abner Uribe threw all five of the fastest pitches in this game. <laughs> um, the eighth inning, Willie Adamas led off of the walk. Uh, Rowdy Telez struck out, and then Josh Donaldson grounded into a double play. Josh Donaldson's double play was 107 miles an hour off the bat. That was the second fastest uh, exit velocity of this game. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So my overall takeaway from the Marlins series is they took three of four from a team that's fighting to get in the playoffs. Adrian Hauser was back and looked solid. He's now three and zero against the Marlins. Um, he faced five batters twice, and that was the most of any batters that he faced in any inning. So he never faced more than five batters in an inning, which is actually really good. Um, his sinker looked great. His fastball was really good. He even used the chain or a curveball a little bit, which was interesting to see. But he landed it for some strikes, which was good to see. And then. With his his sinker is really impressive, and I had to write this down. If we face a team that has a lot of left-handed hitters, I would like to see Adrian Hauser get a start. So this is this is the batting average for left-handed and right-handed hitters against his sinker. So right-handed hitters bat 290 against it, oh. and left-handed hitters bat 237. So a right-handed pitcher, that pitch plays better against lefties than righties. You know, that's going to be an interesting debate who's going to be the fourth starter in the playoffs, man, because you know the top three. Oh, yeah. Most of are locked. It could be like a by a committee kind of thing, so I agree with you. They they Um, really could, and they're in a position, and this kind of ties into Brett's question slash comment. Um, It's not about the Marlins, but talking about Ray and Julio again, kind of like Taylor mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but we've been talking about it and kind of talking through it. Um, right. And same with Elvis, his thing is retroactive. So he he'll be basically ready for the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Ray and Julio are guys that you could pair with Miley and Hauser. So you could kind of do, you know, a one, two, three, and then a four, a four B and five, a five B and kind of pair and piggyback some of these guys. I mean, that's that's maybe that's an option. I'm sure it's something that Council and Matt Arnold are discussing. You would have, in my opinion, for a four B would have to be Miley and and uh, Hauser. That would be my four A four B. You know, they kind of complement each other in some ways. They're different styles in some I ways. Mean, you can you can really make the case of putting any of them together. I would make Miley the four A. I would want him to start the fourth game. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know, like, I kind of like Colin Ray after that, maybe because, like, he's got some strikeout stuff. So, you face Miley, a guy who's going to get you to ground out a shit ton, and then you got to face Colin Ray, who's going to get you to ground out a lot, but also give you some strikeouts. That's fair. That's and fair. then, and then you pair Hauser and Tehran, who are pretty similar pitchers. Yeah, just uh, Hauser still has the velocity, 
Right. So, I mean, there's there's interesting things you can do with the starting lineup there, uh, the starting rotation. Um, be interesting. Taylor said to maybe use Wilson for two innings and go from there. He, Wilson's another guy you could use as another piggyback starter because he has been a starter in previous seasons. Um, it's, it's an option. And like I said, I'm sure – I'm sure Craig Council and Matt Arnold are discussing all of these options. Yeah, I trust Craig to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing I want to say on the fourth game of the Marlins series, just because you felt like Tyron Taylor was this game, his last 30 games, he's batting 275. Oh, damn. 327 on base percentage and a 462 slug. If he can get his on base percentage up just a little bit, he's going to be a really crucial piece down the stretch and in the playoffs. I think he's already proving that. He's kind of like uh, Willie Adamas Light, in my opinion, where he can be a spark plug to the offense, man. Everybody kind of likes him. He's got speed. Uh, he's just, he's got power to all fields. He's kind of like w- Willie Adamas Light, in my opinion. The defense, I can see that too. Yeah, But, I mean, for a guy who basically two months ago we were like, yeah, if he comes back, eh, sure. If not, we have Sal and Joey Weimer and – Maybe Garrett Mitchell will be back for the end of the season. But now it's really like we can't take him out of the lineup because he's been so good. I know. <laughs> um, Just like two months ago, we were like, yeah, he's probably going to be gone because we have so many guys coming up. Right. Was and that like, still might be the case, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Taylor said we can seriously mess with teams with those combos after the big three pitch. And that's 100%. If the big three give you anything of six or more innings in the first three games of a series, if it even gets that far, there's – there's so many combinations that the Brewers can use with all those pitchers and stuff. So that might be a, a really fluid situation. So um, Brett pulled a Jake by saying Burns, Woodruff, Willie, Miley. I think he meant Freddie. Um, you think they'll pull McGill from the first few innings and pull him back to relievers? Yes. Um, and then he said, I think Hauser should be a reliever for the postseason. Same with Julio. And that's totally within the realm of possibility. Any of those guys, and I do think Wade Miley would be the fourth game starter. Um, he said he did it for you. Um, <laughs> I do think Wade Miley would be that fourth game starter um, in the next series should the Brewers win two of the first three in the wild card round. Let's just win three. Just just, just win three in a row, and then we can just relax for a little bit. And... Well, first round is two out of three. Then oh, the next series is three out of five. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry. So many playoff teams in baseball now. Damn. (laughs) I don't know why they don't just make them all seven-game series. Yeah, that's so dumb to me. not going to lie. It's a little WNBA-ish, if you ask me. I don't disagree with you. For a team that – for a – I shouldn't say a team. A league that has the longest regular season to have the shortest playoff structure, it's weird. It's backwards. Okay. It is why why are we backwards. doing that? Okay. So let's switch to the Nationals. Game one of the Nationals. What stood out to you from that game? Whew. What stood out or what went out of the damn stadium in this that first thing. game, man? Um, Wade Miley started this one. He got a W. He's up to eight and four on the year now. Uh, McGill got to hold his fourth. Uribe got to hold his seventh. And Williams got his 35th save. So Miley went five and two thirds, gave up five hits, three earned runs, all in the first inning, uh, two walks, and three Ks. It's all in the first inning, right? I'm I'm remembering this correctly. 
Um, I think it, I think we were down three to nothing in this one, if I remember. Correctly. You're correct. Yep. <laughs> Brain is activated. Gotcha. Um, Trevor McGill gave up one hit and one K. Uh, Uribe zeros across the board. No hits. No earned runs. No walks. No Ks. And Devin Williams just came in and just was in boss mode and got three strikeouts. Now for RBIs in this one, Santana with two, Contreras with three. Contreras is up to 73 RBI. Santana is up to 75 on the season. And Santana and Contreras decided to go back-to-back in this one. So that was exciting. Santana also hit one in the eighth inning. But Contreras' home run was – I don't even know how to describe it. I want to call it a missile. I want to call it way the hell out of here. But I cannot believe it went over those seats, over the dugout, or over the, the bullpen. That was freaking Literally insane. out of the stadium. Literally. And they showed a picture of the some guy went and got it and took a picture yep. with it. That was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, some really interesting things with this game. Uh, first of all, I do want to mention that Christian Yelich leaving this game was planned. Uh, and then recently, as far as recently as yesterday, he was doing workouts and he's not going to the injured list. So, that is good. Um, good. I haven't seen yet. It's probably going to come out, I would say, within the next 10 minutes, the uh, the lineup for tonight. Uh, they did say on the radio today that they were putting the tarps out because they're maybe going to have some rain in St. Louis. So hopefully that doesn't delay the game at all. But um, first inning, it's he's a brewer killer. Lane Thomas let off with a home run on a ball that was six inches above the zone. Yep. That's just obnoxious. Um, it was followed by a double and then a fly out and then another double on another abnormally high pitch. Followed by another double. Uh, made the game three to zero, like Jake said in the first inning. Uh, mm-hmm. Wade Miley much better in the second inning, only ten pitches to get a one two three. Um, gave up a one out walk in the third inning and picked him off. Wade Miley's pickoff move is elite. Um, mm. Taylor said, "I want to see the ball clear everything without hitting the ground and leave the stadium and be like four sixty plus or whatever it would be." Um, no, I think Aaron Judge is already kind of locked up with the Yankees, so I don't think that's going to happen for the Brewers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, fourth inning gave up a leadoff walk went one two three after that fifth inning another one two three sixth inning Wade Miley got the first two outs then gave up a single and then McGill came in to get the third out Uh, McGill came back out for the seventh uh, gave up a one out double but that was it now McGill pitched an inning and a third so he faced he recorded four outs faced five batters he threw 19 pitchers 19 pitches 11 of them were 100 miles an hour or faster. Dude, that's crazy how he can do that. I just think of that dude on TikTok where it's like, no curveball, no changeup, nothing but fucking gas. And that's Trevor McGill. <laughs> um, Brett said he just saw about JC Mejia. Yeah, he got his second PED uh, positive. Stanzalol is a, it's basically a steroid. So he already had an 80-game suspension last year, so he's done for a full year. Not a super crucial piece to the to the bullpen, really. He was really just kind of one of those placeholder guys. Um, so I'm not super concerned about what it means for the Brewers. But eighth inning, um, Abner Uribe, first pitch, or first pitch, first out, Carlos Santana made a really nice pick at first base. And then Abner Uribe was dealing with cramping. Just it's good that it wasn't anything else besides that. Like he was kind of stretching out his shoulder, you know, things like that. Um, Taylor said, it's a bad look for us. 
it's really not. That was a decision he made. It's not like the Brewers were feeding it to him. Then yeah. that was a bad look. Um, that's really just a bad look on Mejia, so in my opinion. Uh, but Abner Rebay did get a one, two, three, eighth inning on only six pitches. And then Devin Williams, you mentioned he came in for a shutdown ninth inning. He got down 3-0 to the first batter, came all the way back, and just went K, 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 W. Good thing you ended up with a W. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, all right. But you mentioned the home runs, the fifth inning. Roddy Thales let off with a walk. Two strikeouts by the Brewers. Christian Yelich drew a two-out walk. And then William Contreras hit that longest home run of the season, 456 feet to tie the game on the first pitch that he saw. That was 109.7 miles an hour off the bat. Dude. That son of a bitch was so high, dude. <laughs> it flew so far. I was the I was I watched the highlight. What the hell did it, how'd they word it? I don't remember how they worded it. Like mashes a baseball or something like that. And I was like, yeah, they're underselling this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carlos Santana worked a full cone at the next batter and then made it back to back home runs to give the Brewers the lead four to three. So it was really one of those things where it's like, oh, here we go. The Nationals are up three to nothing. And then the Brewers just go three-run home run, solo shot, back-to-back. And now it's like, all right, yep, Brewers have the lead. So goodbye, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Eighth inning, Santana leading off, destroyed a home run to the second deck. That was his 299th home run. Uh, His 298th home run actually gave him 1,000 RBI for his career. So Carlos Santana might hit – I shouldn't say might. He's going to hit his 300th home run and his 1,000th RBI in a Brewer's uniform, so that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um, that was essentially it. Brewers won 5-3. to three. The Nationals came out swinging in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor said he should have made the comment that he hit it all the way to Sheboygan like Anders' field goal in the last preseason game. Should have. Opportunity missed. Um, so the Nationals came out swinging. Wade Miley talked about this in his postgame, and he credited William Contreras for changing the game plan. Um, and then he was re- able to rebound nicely after giving up three runs in the first inning. So they kind of switched up the game plan. So really credit to William Contreras for not only being a great batter, but also being great behind the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Yelich and Mark Canna were both back for this game. Um, and then I thought this was interesting. Coming into this game, the Brewers were last in Major League Baseball in September home runs. And then they just score five runs off of home runs. Like, is there a more brewer thing to do than to do that? Is there a more baseball thing to do? Um, Trevor McGill, his fastball curveball combo, when it's accurate, is devastating. He to to go from one hundred one to eighty four, and to be able to put both of them in the same spot is disgusting. Definitely tough to handle at six foot eight. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, I will say I like Andre Monasterio batting ninth. It almost kind of gives the Brewers like two leadoff hitters with how well Andre Monasterio has been batting lately. Um, Garrett Mitchell starting in this game. So this is last Friday rehabbing in triple A. I'm really, 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 really hoping he has a chance to make the playoff roster. Oh, wouldn't that be something, dude? Oh man, that'd be so great. Um, and actually, with this game, the Brewers passed the Houston Astros for the fifth best record in baseball, which should the Brewers and Astros meet in the playoffs, that would matter. 
My guy Keith might be right. He said fourth best record. I don't know about that, but he said fourth best record. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. We'd have to pass the Dodgers. I just don't see it. I don't see it either. They're they're as far ahead of the Brewers as the Brewers are of the Cubs and the Reds. So yeah, I, I don't, personally don't see it. Um, I don't watch wrestling, so I don't know what that is. Rey Mysterio walk theme music. Who should have Rey Mysterio theme music? Is my question. Is he talking about Gary Mitchell? Got to be talking about McGill, unless he's talking about somebody else. Um, Linda said you guys are right on most of the time. Hey, I'll take most of the time. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Prog- I wouldn't uh, profess to be always right. The arrogant part of me wants to say all the time, but I'll take the compliment. <laughs> oh, Monasterio, Mysterio. That makes Monasterio. sense. That makes okay. sense. I will take the compliment though. And actually, this was like. Somebody commented on one of the stat projections we put out for the Packers and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just trust the guys on the internet that make up stats based on nothing. And I went back and I looked at our stat projections from last year, and it's like, we were actually pretty close on a lot of things. It's not like we're just throwing numbers out there, man. We're, we're legitimately doing educated guesses, looking at stuff, weighing options. Like we're That's why when we do our score projections, we do head and heart, you know, because we can give one where – you know, our heart is talking and one where our head is like, okay, we're actually thinking this. What if this mm-hmm. happens? This is probably going to happen. It's going to be tough to stop this guy on the other team. Like, yeah, don't have to be deep we, we are just, you know, a couple guys on the internet, but we put a lot of work into it. Yeah. So I appreciate the comment, Linda. We, we put a lot of work into it. All right. And, what's up uh, to you from game two? And <laughs> <laughs> the brains. Okay. Oh, here we go. Jake just said something about not giving us a big head. Then Taylor goes and makes a comment like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> so you asked me what stands up from this game, and I just want to skip to the eighth inning, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I, I mean, I get, get it. it. I have it written will... not only in all caps, but I also wrote it in bold. Like, it's written in bold and in all caps. It's, it's, it's coming. Um, got some stats for you after that, but Corbin oh, Burns started this one. Chris for waiting for stats. <laughs> it's Go my ahead. job, bros. He said, uh, Corbin Burns, uh, five and two thirds in this one, five hits, four earned runs, three walks. <sighs> Gotta get the walks down, man. I expect, I expect him to get the walks down, uh, nine yeah. K's for Burns. So nothing new there. Uh, yep. Elvis Baguero got his 21st hold of the season, going one and one-third inning. Gave up one hit, had two strikeouts. Joel Piamps, who gave up three hits, earned run and a K, ended up getting the win in this one. He's now 6-4 and four on the year, wins and losses. And uh, because of some legendary, legendary stuff from Mark Hanna, which we're going to get into, Hobie Milner uh, came in in the ninth, uh, had one inning pitch, zero hits, zero runs, zero walks, zero Ks, but – you know what? I'm okay with that. He just shut the door completely. Uh, Donaldson, Canna, Taylor, Adamas, and Telez all got RBIs in this one. Donaldson up to 18 RBIs in the season. Canna up to 55 after a five RBI day. Taylor 27, Adamas 77, Telez 46. Taylor and Canna had home runs. So let's get into it, man. Let's relive the moment that was. So I'm going to start with the pitching first. So Burns in the top of the first, only 11 pitches to strike out the side. Got the first one looking, the next two swinging. Um, 
the second inning, only 11 pitches again to go one, two, three. The third inning, he gave up a leadoff home run and then went one, two, three after that. Um, going to the sixth inning, a one-out walk, a two-out single, another single, a walk, another single, and another walk. And Elvis Guerrero came in to finish the sixth inning. The Nats had closed the gap to 5-4. Uh, so really just, like you mentioned, the walks for Corbin Burns, um, all three of them came in that sixth inning, sandwiched with three singles as well. Kind of mm. had the rails go off for Corbin Burns a little bit. Yeah. But Elvis Guerrero finished the sixth, then pitched the seventh, had a leadoff single that stole second base, but then went strikeout, strikeout looking, ground out to finish the seventh. Uh, Yoel Piams pitched the eighth, gave up a single, got a strikeout, and then a pop-out, another two singles that tied the game at five, and then got a pop-out to finish the eighth. Uh, you mentioned already the ninth inning, one, two, three inning by Hobie Milner. Now, the two-out damage is what stood out to me for this game. So in the sixth inning, five straight batters reached with two outs. Ugh. That's just that's just putting all of your base runners into one inning and that's just stringing guys getting on base together that's just honestly it's good baseball by the nationals like i'm not you know like i get that it happened against us but like i'm not mad at it like i respect it it's good baseball so um the bottom of the first inning this was wild so corbin burns throws 11 pitches to strike out the side in the first inning the bottom of the first inning, the Brewers forced the Washington starter to throw 47 pitches. Yep. Holy shit. I don't think I've ever seen that. That's a lot. Um, Sal Freelich started with an opposite field single with two strikes. William Contreras singled the center field with two strikes. Carlos Santana drew a four-pitch walk. Mark Canna, with the bases loaded, uh, got a two-strike single, moved everybody up 90 feet. Willie Adamas had a sack fly with two strikes. That made the game two to zero. And then Rowdy Telez hit a little cue ball shot over the shortstop's glove into center field. That made the game three to zero. Um, just really good stringing things together for the Brewers, honestly. And a lot of it with two strikes. So that was really good to see. Um, skipping to the fourth inning, Tyrone Taylor let off of the home run. Sal Freelich just missed having a home run after that. Uh, it was a double off the wall, and he was stranded. The fifth inning, Willie Adamas let off with a double. Just a great hit by him. Um, yeah. Rowdy Telez snuck a single past the first baseman. Um, Josh Donaldson followed with an RBI single. That made the game 5-1. to one. And then Sal Freelich was robbed of another hit by the center fielder. It was just a really nice catch by the center fielder. And then the eighth inning comes, and this happened against Kyle Finnegan who is a really good pitcher. I actually wanted him as one of my trade targets at the trade deadline. So Kyle Finnegan is a very, very good pitcher. Dude, Um, the splitter is disgusting. Yeah, he's good. So for this to happen against him, it's it's a big deal. Tyrone Taylor had a one-all double. Sal Freelich followed a single with two strikes. William Contreras grounded into a fielder's choice. Uh, Carlos Santana on a one-two count. Came all the way back to draw a walk and load the bases. And Mark Canna, on the first pitch that he sees, hits a grand slam, the second of his career. And he doesn't just, like, toss the bat. He doesn't just flip the bat. He fucking launches it up into the air. Tim said me and the parents were at this game. I'm super jealous. This happened with two outs. 
hits a grand slam and just launches the bat in the air. And seeing like Mark Hanna, who's normally like a really like even keel dude, like yeah. showing a bunch of emotion, I was like, oh shit. Dude, I'm like, getting freaking goosebumps talking about it. Oh my! <laughs> it's like he got traded away from the Mets and like a bear just woke up inside of Mark Canna. Like, dude is just a monster. And Jake's going to get into it a little bit later after we finish these last couple games. But, I mean, the Grand Slam and the Bat Flip, it was just... Bro, (laughs) so we had a really long day, like, personally on Saturday. So we woke up really early. Um, my, My son had a fishing tournament. And then my sister got married. So from the fishing tournament, we went to her wedding. And then from there, we went to, um, God dang, I can't think of Mineshaft. Um, hmm. And we went out to eat. So we were eating. So we were there for a few hours. And then we went and played games. And then we had to go to see her grandma before her grandma flew out. So we did all that shit, right? And then we get home, and it's the top of the eighth inning. So I had to rewatch this game to, to get my notes done correctly so I can understand yep. everything. We talked about this one, but. We get to the top eighth inning. We see the top of the eighth inning. And all of a sudden, first, like, literally the first time I see the Brewers batting is when Mark Canna just decides to just yoke a baseball. And I just let out a freaking lion's roar because I was so freaking excited. So I, was, <laughs> I was watching the score, you know, as, as we were gone all day and stuff. And I was like, God damn it, they tied it up, you know. And all of a sudden, I just let out this big, giant roar, and my girlfriend just texted me from all the way upstairs, which is two stories away from me right now, by the way. And she's like, Jacob, really? I'm like, sorry, he hit a grand slam. Don't judge me. <laughs> it was That was a moment, and it was awesome that I got to watch that with my son, and he got to see, like, my passion, I guess, like how much I actually care about winning and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So that was, a, that was a great moment. That was awesome. Okay, so what stood out to you about the finale of this game? The finale. <clears throat> well, not our best outing, but you know what? It is what it is. Uh, the Brewers are, like, dangerously good at home, by the way. Yeah. Um, I don't think – if we steal road games and this shit comes back to Milwaukee, you know, with, with tied, whether we're playing the Dodgers or, or the Braves, we got to – Fucking chance, dude. Like, I'm being yeah, yeah, dead a serious. real chance. <laughs> like, seriously, it doesn't matter who pitches at home because they're all better at home, right? It's kind of like in basketball, yeah. like your reserve players are better at home. Like, if our ace guys, you know, because we have more than one, if our yep. ace guys do their shit on the road and we come away with a W or two and this shit's coming back to Milwaukee, you're in trouble. That's over. <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, But in this one, Brandon Woodruff – um, six innings, three hits, one earned run, six Ks. I mean, that's just that's Brandon Woodruff yeah. stat line. Uh, Hobie Milner, one inning pitch, zeros across the board. Bryce Wilson, a third of an inning, gave up one hit and one walk. Shafin comes in for the rest of that inning, two thirds of an inning, uh, zeros across the board. Uh, Devin Williams pitched in this one, one inning, two walks, two Ks. And uh, Vieira, two innings pitched, one walk, one K. Uh, Sack fly from Santana in the sixth inning to tie the game at one. Got him to 76 RBIs. He needs 18 RBIs to set a new career high, by the way. Uh, We were one – this is the game. Uh, We were one for 11 runners in scoring position and nine left on base. But 
like you said, more bites at the apple. That's a, that's a saying that we've used as for the Milwaukee Brewers before. So yep. more bites at the apple is a good thing. So this was the second straight Sunday game that went into extra innings. Just kind of a weird coincidence, I guess. Uh, the second inning, a two-out solo shot was the same guy who hit one the day before. Was the yep. only damage in the second. Going all the way to the sixth inning, uh, two-out double, and Brandon Woodruff stayed in the game at 104 pitches. Yeah. That really surprised me, I'm not going to lie. He did finish the sixth inning, uh, finished the game at 107 pitches for him. So um, Brandon Woodruff pitched six innings. He went one, two, three, three of those six. I like it. Yeah, so it's pretty solid. I'll take it. Um, <clears throat> and only had in the fifth inning, had a one-out single that was followed by two strikeouts. So like you said, kind of just a Brandon Woodruff. Um, the eighth inning, the Nationals had a leadoff double, sacrifice bunted. And then a walk brought Wilson out of the game and put Chafin in to face a left-handed hitter. And he get a ground ball from Washington's leadoff hitter, who is very fast. Um, Willie Adamas kind of spiked the relay, but Carlos Santana picked it. And Chafin came in, got a ground ball, double play. Yeah. So that's really good to see. I'd like to see, like, I don't know, maybe three or four more appearances by Chafin of that type for me to feel confident enough to see him in a playoff game yeah i agree unless we're winning by three or more runs right and that's kind of just is what it is but the ninth inning devin williams went strikeout strikeout walk walk ground out so scoreless ninth inning for him um viera got a deep fly out to lead off the top of the 10th the runner got to third had gave up a walk so he had first and third with two outs another fly out and viera was pumped to get through that inning um and then the 11th inning, another flyout got the runner to third, and then a sack fly got him in that made the game two to one. That ended up being the final score. But um, the Brewers in the sixth inning, Mark Canna had a leadoff single, stole second base again. William Contreras chose on his own to lay down a sacrifice bunt. Uh, Carlos Santana got a sack fly that tied the game. In this instance, it tied the game, but I'm just going to say this William Contreras, don't ever do that again. Yeah, you're the best hitter on this team. Your bat is too good to be laying down sacrifice bunts to be trying to tie a game in the sixth inning when you're the home team and you're down by one run. Yeah, you're you're and you're facing a team that's you know inferior to you. You know what I mean? So I mean, your bat could take the lead. I was just gonna say if you're just willing to kind of concede the at bat, like swing for the fences, please. Yeah, I agree. That's one. That's one spot where I would condone swinging for the fences. Uh-huh. Tenth inning, um, Victor Caratini had a two-out or sorry, a one-out single. Andre Monasterio had to freeze at second base. He wanted to make sure it got through. Jason Lane held him at third base. That was the correct decision. If Andre Monasterio had been waved home, he would have been out by like six steps. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter being like, "Jason Lane needs to be fired for not sending one of our fastest runners." I'm like, "No, he made the right choice." Andre Monasterio was like just rounding third base as the ball was already coming back into the infield. Yeah, that guy was just gonna bitch either way. So whatever. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, yeah, and if he gets thrown out at home, then you're like, oh, we need to fire Jason Lean for sending him. Yeah. So yeah. Um so the Brewers got to a point where Sal Freelich drew a walk. Um the bases loaded were, were loaded for Mark Canna, grounded into a fielder's choice, they got the out at home. Same situation for William Contreras. Bases loaded in another fielder's choice. Going to the 11th inning, 
Um, bottom of the 11th, Bryce Durang bunts William Contreras over to third base. Willie Adamas is intentionally walked, and then Rowdy Telez hits a super hot liner that's picked by the first baseman, and William Contreras is caught in a rundown to end the game. Mm. Kind of just one of those games where it's just like baseball. Um, this game. So I want to throw just a few things out. One, Mark Canna stealing two bases in the same game. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Tyrone Taylor's hit streak ended at seven with this game. Um, this was Hobie Milner's 69th appearance of the season. Nice. I had to work that in there. I couldn't resist. Dude, <laughs> um, I, I told you they find us. But uh, I, I found this one. I'm not going to lie to you. I saw that he made his 70th appearance against the Cardinals, and I'm not going to go back a game to when he pitched last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my thing with this game is that people continue to complain about the Brewers not getting sweeps. And the fact of the matter is, if the Brewers won two of three, they'd win 108 games over the course of the season. They'd win the opening playoff series and be off to a great start in the NLCS or the World Series. Yeah, that's just a fact. Um, yeah, sweeps would be nice, but I'm not ever going to complain about winning two out of three every time. Dude, just literally win two out of every three and you'll win the championship. So Yes, you'll, you'll win literally everything. Yeah, so that would be cool. That would be cool. All right, so two games against the Cardinals. What's it up to you from game one against the Cardinals? Well, like I said before, uh, Freddie Peralta had a great outing. Uh, Uribe had a good outing, and Wilson also had a good outing. Um, we didn't score in this one, but Adamas got his 24th double of the year. And we grounded into a lot of goddamn double plays. And I just want to say, I feel like the baseball gods were on Adam Wainwright's shoulder in this mm-hmm. one. Like, oh, this is your last time facing a division rival at home? Yeah, we'll give you a good one. Like, he gave up a run in every single outing this year, except this one. This was his first one of the season. It is what it is. But I'm really happy that he's gone and Yachty – he's going to be gone soon and Yachty's gone, obviously. And they're kind of turning a new leaf over there in St. Louis, and hopefully we could beat beat up on them for the next couple seasons. That looks like a good leaf, if I'm being honest. Man. But it is going to be a good leaf. But, man, uh, I'm so happy that we don't have to deal with Adam Wainwright anymore because I'm so mm-hmm. sick and tired of striking out to a 76-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, Kyle Hendricks has a 77-mile-an-hour fastball, and you can't touch that. Nine yeah, what the hell is that? All right, so my recap for this one is short because this game was obviously a 1-0. to zero. So yep. I can't say that Wainwright going for his 200th win against the Milwaukee Brewers – in St. Louis, being his best start of the season surprises me. Over his career, he's been very good versus the Brewers, and knowing this is the very, like, very possibly the last time that he ever faces the Brewers, um, and is going for his 200th win in front of his home crowd, makes me feel that Wainwright put like literally everything that was left in his gas tank into this game. Yeah. So. It would not surprise me if Adam Wainwright makes one or two more starts this season if he gets absolutely rocked in one or both of them. Well, we might be facing him again soon, so that would be great. Maybe. It's going to depend on kind of how the the Cardinals rotation works out. Um, And I don't know if they have any off days or not. It's interesting. Let me try try to map it out while you continue. Um, I will still say you made Freddie Peralta your power pitcher this week off of this game. He did hold St. Louis to four hits over six innings pitched. 
Gave up zero walks with six strikeouts, so that is that is good. I will take that from Freddie Peralta. And in true Freddie Peralta form, as he's been doing like his last four starts, gave up one run on one solo home run. That's basically what Freddie Peralta's been doing. Um, Abner Uribe and Bryce Wilson both pitched a scoreless inning. Abner Uribe hit 103 miles an hour on the radar gun. That's fucking stupid. That's insane. Um, no, we're actually, not going to We aren't or we are? We won't. Okay. Kind of what I figured. Um, the Brewers as a team did not issue a walk in this game. Yeah, he was he was literally dominating us. Yeah. Um, Sal Freelich was two for four, so if there's a silver lining, that's it. But the Brewers did get revenge in game two, so I'll let you say what you got to say about this one, but I, I kind of have a lot to say about this one. Boy, oh boy, there's going to be a lot of names I'm throwing out at you. So uh, buckle up. Oh, let me uh, get a little more comfortable here. Here we go. Yep, strap up. Here we go. So they went with the experiment of uh, starting Trevor McGill again. And got, got, got off to a little bit of a rocky start. But one inning pitch, three hits, two earned runs, a walk, and two Ks. Threw a bunch of pitches. I don't remember if it was if it ended at 28 or 29. Did he go over 30? Um, I thought didn't it was write like, it down. I thought it was like twenty eight or twenty nine, but I was like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of pitches for a guy who throws as hard as he does." Yep. Um, Colin Ray four and two thirds again, three hits, one earned run. Honestly, to get out of that, giving up six hits and four walks between the two guys and only three runs, I'll take that. Yeah. I will, <laughs> knowing the. And this is my recency bias kicking in in a positive way, but knowing that the Brewers are literally one inning away, foreshadowing, you know, for this game alone, that they're one big inning away from taking the lead. Like, I'm like, I'm sitting pretty. And this is the thing. The Brewers have put together quite a bit of those big innings. Like we talked about, I think, last week, that the Brewers, since like the middle of August, have like the second most three-run innings in that time. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. So, you know... Me and you and, you know, a couple other people that we know being, you know, the positive people that we are. We're like, you know what? Could have been way worse. So, Hopi Milner goes a third of an inning in this one. Zeros across the board. Abner Uribe, your power pair guy. Uh, zero hits, zero earned runs, one walk, one strikeout. Joel Piamps was back doing his thing. Only one hit in his one inning of work. And... Shafin, one inning, one hit, one walk, one K. And he's kind of uh, – it got off to a really, really bad start. And then he he was all right. And then he had a, a bad outing. And then he's been all right again. So I feel like he's kind of hitting his groove a little bit. And I do agree with you. I'd like to see some more quality outings from him. But he is he is starting to settle in. I'll, I'll say That's it that way. Exactly what I was just going to say is, like, if we get – if he goes into the playoffs with say five consecutive scoreless appearances, like I'm, I'm feeling okay. Yeah. Um. So in this one, we had one home run. Uh, the younger, the younger and better Contreras got a home run. I will give a shout out to his brother though. The the home run he hit the day before was 115 miles per hour off the bat, which damn freaking crazy. That was a legit laser. Damn. <laughs> um. RBIs in this one. Donaldson, Canna, Taylor, Adamas, Monasterio, Contreras, and Frelick. Contreras' home run was with two outs. Donaldson, 19 RBIs. Canna, 56. Taylor, 28. Adamas, 78. Monasterio, 26. Contreras, 74. And Frelick, 22. 
doubles in this one since we had the quadruple double inning. Baseball reference for you. Donaldson, Santana, Taylor, Adamas. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Perkins and Freelick all got doubles. Three doubles now for Donaldson since being brought up to the team, so that's pretty damn good. 30 for Santana, 14 for Taylor, 25 for Adamas, 5 for Perkins, and 6 or 8 for Freelick. So 4 for 15 runners in scoring position, so a lot of bites at the apple. So people taking advantage in that one big inning. So, I mean, could be worse, but a W is a W, right? To have 15 batters have an attempt with runners in scoring position, like, uh, I'm fine. Like, I'm uh, fine. I agree. To have 15 opportunities with runners in scoring position, that means you're putting tons of people on base. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm good with that. Like, people just can be like, oh, they batted 260 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, they did it with 15 opportunities. Uh, if you bat, you know, 260 with, you know, as a one for four, and you're only talking about one run scoring and four chances, like, yeah, that sucks. But when you're doing it with 15 guys on base, that is, I mean. Some high pressure, so you're you're bound to crack. Right. <clears throat> so the third inning, with two outs, William Contreras cut the lead in half and made the game 2-1. to one. You mentioned Trevor McGill opening this game again. Uh, the Cardinals got off to a 2 nothing lead in the first inning. But the bottom of the fourth, or sorry, top of the fourth, Brewers are on the road now. Uh, Willie Adamas, his leadoff double was 108 miles an hour off the bat. Josh Donaldson got down 0-2. He worked all the way back to 3-2 and then pulled a double to tie the game 2-2. Mm-hmm. Tyrone Taylor got down 0-2, followed a couple pitches off, and then ripped a third straight double of the inning. Um, South Freelick made a fourth straight double on a horrible dive attempt by Jordan Walker. 
and Cardinals fans are trying to justify it like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, good, good route outfielder makes that play. Like that wasn't even like a bad route that he took. That was just a horrible play on that ball. <laughs> like there's nothing you can say that like to justify this being like just a bad route to the ball. Like, no, that was just a horrible play on the ball all around and then to still dive for it and miss it by like a foot and a half. It's pretty bad. It was something. On <laughs> 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 stereo followed with a deep fly ball. Sal Freely got to third. Uh, Blake Perkins drew a walk and then a new pitcher came in. Uh, Mark Canna hit a tapper. Sal Freelich broke home and the catcher decided to go to second base to try for a double play. Uh, Mark Canna was safe at first and the run scored made the game five to two. Um, the top of the seventh inning was the first time the Brewers went one, two, three in this game. The Brewers had base runners on in the first six innings. Damn. And then in the eighth inning, they made it another inning. Um, actually ended up being the only one, two, three inning of the game. The eighth inning, Tyrone Taylor let off with a walk, stole second base, got the third on a South Freelick ground out. Andre Monasterio had a sack fly that made the game six to three. And in the ninth inning, William Contreras let off with a walk. Easy, bud. Easy. Uh, William Contreras let off with a walk, stole second base. Uh, William Adamas single scored him, made the game seven to three. Um, that ended up being the final score, but. The bottom of the first inning for the Cardinals against McGill had a leadoff single that stole second base. Uh, strikeout for Paul Goldschmidt on a huge curveball. Like Trevor McGill bounced a curveball in, was able to get Paul Goldschmidt. That for an inning where he gave up two runs, like that was still encouraging for me. Like to strike out Paul Goldschmidt on a pretty nasty curveball that bounced into Contreras's glove. That's that's nasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was followed by a ground rule double that made the game one to zero. That guy stole third base, and then a sack fly made the game two to zero. But McGill faced seven batters, kind of rough, not exactly the spot you want to be in. But going to the fifth inning, a two-out solo shot made the game five to three Brewers, and then the fourth straight inning with a two-out base runner for the Cardinals was the fifth. Um, the sixth inning, a two-out single for Hobie Milner came in was the fifth straight inning that a 2 out base runner was on base against Colin Ray. Uh, Admiral Uribe pitched the seventh, Piams pitched the eighth, and then Chafin in the ninth got a three-pitch strikeout, gave up a walk and a single, made the game, or sorry, made the Cardinals first and third. And then Andrew Chafin got Nolan Arenado to ground into a double play. That's that's encouraging, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So the Brewers struggled versus Wainwright, and then they beat Rom on his best pitch in this game. So credit to the Brewers for doing that, to, to follow that up. So Colin Ray, Colin Ray, this was weird. He retired all five leadoff batters, but allowed two out runners in all five of the innings he pitched in. That's weird. Um, the ninth inning insurance run that they scored did allow Devin Williams an extra day of rest, which is encouraging. The Brewers' magic number is down to six. And this is Craig Council's 700th win as a manager. And it mathematically eliminated the Cardinals from playoff. The, from playoff. Yeah, so awesome. so we got a little bit of revenge. You know, Wainwright got his 200th win against us, but Council got his 700th win the next day and officially mathematically eliminated the Cardinals from the playoffs. Gotta love it. So... Now, you're going to talk about the, the Brewers trade deadline additions, but I just want to throw out there, people have wondered, uh, including us at times, I'm not going to lie, 
how the Brewers have such a good record with an offense that is inconsistent and was bad before the additions of Mark Canna and Carlos Santana. And I want to throw out just one potential answer to that question. And my thought is that they've added guys that can hit left-handed pitching. That was a big problem for the Brewers last year. They were number 27 in Major League Baseball last year, batting 222 against left-handed pitching. This year, they're not great. They're still number 20, but they're batting 248 against lefties. It's a lot better than 222. And that's 26 points. So Victor Caratini's batting 261 against lefties. He's a switch hitter. Uh, Joey Weimer was batting 267 against lefties. Andre Monasterio is batting 328 against lefties. Great. Um, Carlos Santana is batting 353 against lefties as a brewer. Mark Canna is batting. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna save him. William Contreras is batting 350 against lefties this year. Hmm. And Mark Canna, since coming to the Brewers, is batting 387 against lefties. Three what? 387. 387 since coming to the Brewers. I guess that's some pitching for Mark Canna. That's some bullshit. (laughs) Straight up, that's some bullshit. So I knocked my computer over grabbing the sheet because I had it right here and I thought it would be a slick spot to put it. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. Um, So I'm going to go through three people. Josh Donaldson, Carlos Santana, and Mark Canna. I'm going to go in the order that I just named them. So starting with Josh Donaldson. Uh, I'm going to give us their stats in their previous team and their stats on the Brewers. And you're going to see kind of one guy is pretty consistent. He is what it is. And then another guy is uh, really, really freaking good on our team. (laughs) So we're going to start with Josh Donaldson here. And uh, Josh Donaldson, 33 games, 13 runs, 15 hits, one double, 10 home runs, 15 RBIs. 12 walks and 32 strikeouts. That's not a great ratio. So, obviously, we know that he was struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He was – his slashes are a 142 batting average, a 225 on base percentage, which is really freaking bad. Rough. A 434 slug and a 659 OPS. So, I mean, he was having a bad year. The power was there, but that was about it. Yeah. Um. Then you get to him in Milwaukee. He's played eight games now for the Brewers. Scored three runs compared to 13 in 33 games. Six hits compared to 15 in in 33 games for the Yankees. So, I mean, he's hitting the ball a little bit more, seeing the ball better. He has two doubles, so literally more doubles. The one home run, uh, four RBIs. He has five walks and eight strikeouts. So, that's a much better ratio. His slashes are 214 average, 333 on base, a 393 slug, and a 726 OPS. So, I mean, that could it be better? He's been bad, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been better than he was with the Yankees, so you can't complain about that, right? So, now you get to Carlos Santana. He played 94 games for Pittsburgh. 45 runs, 81 hits, 25 doubles, 12 home runs, 53 RBIs, 45 walks, and 69 strikeouts. Nice. Dude, I'm telling you, they find us. I really <laughs> feel like that. And the fact that he only had he had 69 strikeouts for Pittsburgh and he got traded to us after 
we called it during the trade deadline is like literally the most Wisco Fanatics thing of all time. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, I, I Matt Arnold just went out and traded for a guy with sixty nine strikeouts just to give us that statistic. I was, I was like, nice. You're a real one, Matt Arnold. We appreciate you're it. a real one. <laughs> <laughs> so, in forty three games with the Brewers, now this is fifty one fewer games. Twenty eight runs compared to forty five in ninety four games. I mean, he's scoring a lot more. 39 hits, so almost a hit every game. <laughs> Five right. doubles, nine home runs, nine home runs in 43 games. He hit 12 home runs in 94 games. 23 RBIs, 17 walks, and 31 strikeouts. So that one, I feel like the walks and strikeouts are staying the same, but I really feel like people see the ball better with the Brewers for some reason. So then you get to his slashes. He has a 229 average, a little bit lower than what he was. A 298 on base percentage, a 418 slug, and a 716 OPS. So, you know, he had he started pretty rough and then he had the the ankle issue. So I feel like that kind of swaying things a little bit, but still the thing that you're getting from him, steady Eddie, is fingers. Yeah, he's gonna hit the ball hard. He's gonna bat from both sides, and he's gonna give you a really good defense. We didn't even bring up the the out he had on Monday when the ball got stuck in his glove. That was crazy to me. So, the man of the hour, dude, because these fucking numbers from Mark Can are absurd. Absurd. He is wrong for this. We are stealing from the Mets. So, he played 89 games in New York. 28 runs, 63 hits, 15 doubles, 6 home runs, 29 RBIs, 7 stolen bases, 32 walks, 52 strikeouts. So, I mean, it's like, eh. He's, he's he's mid. So then 245 average, a 343 on base percentage, a 381 slug, and a 725 OPS. A guy that can play multiple positions, that's a good deal to kind of get that guy if you're the Brewers, right? Yeah. I like the trade immediately. Prospect. Yeah. You know, I was I really like the deal right away. Yeah. So now <laughs> this is so tough. The Mets are so, paying this guy's salary. We're this the, numbers. the Mets are paying this guy to play for us. Yes, uh, thank you, by the way. Uh, so 40 games. So 49 fewer games. Keep that in mind. So he had 28 runs in 89 games. He has 20 runs in 40 games. 44 hits. Damn. Seven doubles. Nice. Five home runs. He literally has one fewer home run than he did in 89 games. In half the games, yeah. 26 RBIs. He has three less RBIs in 49 fewer games. Damn. Four stolen bases, 15 walks, 22 strikeouts. Now, here's the slashes. This is so dumb. So, he had a 245 average with the Mets, right? 317 on the Brewers. Damn. He had a 343 on base percentage, 400 on base percentage. Damn. A 381 slug, 475 slug. Damn. <laughs> 725 OPS, 875 OPS. Wow. Bro, we are robbing the Mets right now. Literally. In in public, we're robbing them. It's so oh, dumb. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm never getting rid of this sheet because Mark Canna is a freaking legend. He's a Brewers <laughs> legend now. I'm going to carefully move this over here now. So I don't God, I hope we win a ring. Just 
just for that reason, for the Mets to be like, we're practicing our World Series celebration, and then they go on a full fire sale, and they give us a dude to pay him to play for us, and then he gets a ring with the Brewers. <laughs> At least one of them would know how to celebrate for, for a oh, World Series, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So, so before extra. we get to the Badgers, the Brewers, they play two more games at St. Louis, three games at Miami. That is their final road trip of this regular season. And yep. then we will have one more of the home St. Louis series before next Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday's game is an evening game. So six yep. games between now and next Wednesday. Magic number is six. How many games do you see the Brewers winning between now and next Wednesday? I'll <sighs> Oh, God, I'm going to sound like such a dick. I'm going to say three. I'm going to say four. I was um, teetering, but I, I felt three was correct. And I could totally see it. Like, the Marlins, they're they're kind of in flux. Like, they need to go on a little bit of a run. So, if the Brewers were to win, say, one of three against the Marlins, it wouldn't surprise me because we're going to be getting the Marlins best, whereas the Brewers are kind of just situating themselves. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I mean, if we split one more of the two with St. Louis, take two out of three from the Marlins and win the first one against the Cardinals, that's where I get four from. So that's fair. All righty. You ready to switch to football? Bring on my boy. Bring on my boy. All right. Here we go. Switching to the Badgers. We got Mike with us, our Badger guy. How we doing, fellas? So we're trying something a little bit new. We are going to still start with our power pair and underrated performer. Um, So starting with that, uh, we have one offense, one defense, and then um, an underrated performer. So uh, Mikey has our offensive power pair player this week. So we're going to start with Mike. Welcome in. And who is our offensive power pair player? So my offensive pair here was we're doing – are we doing the most improved or the most improved first? Are we doing our off the – Power. We always start with our power pairs. Okay. Yeah. So my guy was Braylon Allen uh, this past weekend. So interesting, little bit of a slow start. I think we can all agree in this past week's game. Um, I guess apparently after the game, he said he was actually questionable to play. So I had a hunch, you know, going into it. I remember messaging you guys like because yep. Chess was starting or whatever. So, yep. um, but no, he had an incredible second half. Definitely got us out of the rut that we were in. Fair to say. Uh, 12 carries, 94 yards uh, with two touchdowns. Uh, he had that one big 32-yard run that really got things going for us and, um, you know, off to the races. So uh, it was good to see that he got that um, at least everything seems okay now with him. Uh, but, no, that was interesting when he said he was almost not able to go because no one – I didn't hear any whispers about that at all whatsoever before kickoff. So that that was – very interesting, but no, he was the guy that got a start in the second half, and uh, no, it was it was good on all ends there. Um, he gave us that spark for the second half, and um, he was the one that, and historically so far this season, the batters have been por- performing their best in third quarters, and that's what got us going again uh, to start this past game in the third quarter. So, yeah, go Braylon. All right, Jake has our defensive power pair player. <laughs> So we're kind of talking about this, and I'm like, how do I not take Hunter Waller? Right? I'll say so, who was who else was it going to be? Like, so <laughs> it had to it had to be Hunter Waller. Yeah. Um, so for Hunter, uh, ten total tackles, six solo, four assisted. 
He had a sack, his first sack of the season, and two interceptions. His second interception was a thing of beauty, would also be a great photo. So if anybody has that, send that over to me. Um, but, yeah, I think he's flying all over the field, like Mikey said. He's playing multiple positions. He's out in the box. He's single high. Um, he's covering tight ends, running backs, wide receivers. He's doing it all, man. This guy, if he stays healthy, legitimately looks like an NFL player, I think. 100%. 100% agree. Um, so before I name our underrated performer, um, we didn't pick this guy, but I want to give a shout out to Preston Zachman. He played a very good game against Georgia Southern. Um, but we did end up going with Daryl Peterson. He had four tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, one of them on fourth down. He was really just all over the field. So Daryl Peterson is who we went for with our underrated performer. Now, okay, before we start into improvements, I just want to ask you guys, new schemes on both sides of the ball. We we discussed having some some mixed feelings about how it was going. So before we start into talking about what improves, do you guys still have those same mixed feelings as we're two days a game, two days away from game day? Um, you know, so I'll just let you guys offense, defense. Floor is yours, Mikey. So I'll go first because I am going to touch base about this a little bit later when we get okay. to uh, our next segment. But I, I do okay. think we are closer from an offensive standpoint of getting to where we need to be versus defense. If you want me to, if it's one or the other, mm-hmm. I, I just think, you know, we we're used to running like so much zone concepts in, in general. And this defense is predicated to running a little bit more man to man. And I think we're, we're having a hard time, um, you know, with, with that, whether it's a schematic standpoint, whether it's calls being missed, I think that's the one thing that we have to get around. But the problem is, and I'm again, I'm going to touch base about this later, but we're giving up a lot of big plays. It feels like even when we're generating pressure week by week, we are getting better with that, but the ball still comes out is still getting thrown out to receivers or whatever it is for, for big time plays. And that's something that, you know, is becoming a problem. And I'm, I have a feeling that's how teams are going to, you know, take advantage of us this year. So we're trying to get to that man to man scheme so to speak we, sometimes we play zone but not nearly as much as what we used to be so that's the biggest call out and i think that's that might be a little bit of a growing pain for this whole season but um i would love to hear your your guys's feedback on that for sure that's just what i see so i guess from a defensive standpoint you this is what i'm thinking this entire year we all thought you know like you go back to when we we hired fickle right you look at his first year with Cincinnati. That was a bad year, right? So you take all that, you take the film, you throw away what you need to throw away, you keep what you need to keep, you build off that, right? So defensively, I'm actually okay where we're at. We're figuring some things out, and we're growing in live action. Now, does it suck watching a team throw for a 20-yard pass? Yeah, it's not great. I don't feel good about it when it happens. But – the thing that the things that you can't control are the tackling, which obviously one of us is I don't want to give it away, but one of us is going to Tyler's going to talk about. So those effort things and those those, those basics of football, that's the stuff me that too. gets me mad. But schematically, when you see how people attack stuff, that's stuff that we're gonna we're going to correct as the year goes on and going into next year. So I'm not really worried about that stuff right now because I don't expect to go for a national <laughs> championship this first year, but I do like that we're getting different looks and Georgia Southern is not a horrible team. 
people are going to hear Georgia Southern and think that we should have beat them by 40 points. Georgia Southern's a pretty damn good team, in my opinion. And offensively, I feel like we just we don't have the offensive line that we want for this scheme. I really feel that way. I feel like we need a more agile bunch. I feel like we still have more of the power run zone scheme bunch. So when that stuff kind of changes up front, then uh, and if we're not doing anything, I'll be a little bit worried. But honestly, my mixed feelings from Saturday are, are different because I got to digest everything and think it through. So I'm okay. Yeah, the left tackle position was a little concerning. Uh, some penalties, and obviously we saw the blindside hits by Washington State. But Washington State is not slowing down. That's you know talk about a good football team. Like Washington State looks real good. Yeah, they're they're a good team. The the whole Pac-12 or Tupac or whatever the hell you want to call them now. They're they're real teams out there right now. Like Colorado is a good team. <laughs> Washington. Washington's good. USC Michael is Penix. good. Fuck, dude, that dude is good. Oregon is in the top ten. They have a big game against Colorado this weekend. So I mean, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 going to have some play in October. Yeah. yeah, they're going to have some major showdown, dude. When Dion goes to LA. You want to talk about the bright lights, dude? Holy crap! Um, I'll I think they come to Colorado. USC oh, do does. Oh yeah, you're right. Stay yeah, Colorado, right. Colorado plays at Oregon, but it doesn't matter, dude. Colorado's going to be arguably even more hype, even if they were to go out to LA. You've seen yeah, right. all the guys that are been going to those games, bro. Yeah. Like Little Wayne brought them all. Little Wayne, week. yep. I know, dude. Well, Dion's gonna, dude. That team. If he stays there, bro, seriously, if he does stay there, that stadium that they're going to build is going to be ginormous. And I would not be shocked if Dion's on, not on the top of it. <laughs> Give him a statue already. <laughs> um, I'll say it, and I don't want to use this as an excuse because I don't believe in it. But I have seen some people suggest that the personnel isn't quite what they're you know wanting and they're going to want over the next couple of years as they continue to recruit for the way that they're they're using their schemes. So that that is a factor, but I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket just because I do feel that that kind of is an excuse. But I will say it's still the the third game of new systems on both sides of the ball. And you can throw out as much, well, they practice this all spring and summer, so why aren't they perfect at it yet? There's no there's no reps to replicate game reps, live game reps. There's no substitute for that. So that's yeah. where where I know I kind of give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And if it ends up being like, let's hypothetically say the Badgers go eleven and one, and their only loss is to Washington State, who right now is a top twenty team, like there will be worse resumes out there if that were to be the case. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean they're gonna have an opportunity in a few weeks to to play an Iowa team who's ranked. So I mean it's not like they don't have good teams in their schedule, and then right. Uh, we play Ohio State still, and I mean, Indiana is not like great, but they're still not like the worst team in the Big Ten. You know what I mean? And uh, Illinois Minnesota. was a game highlighted on the preseason schedule that now doesn't look like it's going to matter as much because they just keep getting beat by bad teams. Yeah, so now really, really the next big game is Iowa. That'll be a big measuring stick game. But this one in Purdue is not going to be easy. It's going to be a Friday not night, so a day earlier. So on the road. First Big Ten game for Fick. So, I mean, it's going to be be a lot of jitterbugs in this one, I All think. Right. So, Mike, I'm going to go to you first. What what did improve from the Washington State game to the Georgia Southern game? Yeah, so I went with an individual on this one. Um, he's coming off, you know, after a tough game, after week one, after dropping a big pass that would have been a touchdown. I got Skyler Bell um, 
as my guy here. We have to remember, first off, this guy, he wasn't listed as a starter at the beginning of the year. He, after coming off a very good freshman campaign last year for, you know, um, last year's team, he had, last year he had 30 catches. This year he's already got, he's got 13, right? So the last two weeks he's, he's had five catches right around the same amount of yards. It's been, yeah, last week it was five catches, 47 yards. Washington State, five catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, and then he had, yeah, three even three catches against Buffalo. So he's the second on a team in, mo in, in catches in general, too. Braylon's number one. And we know, I think we can all put, toge put together, like, what his actual total yardage is with Braylon. So, um, <laughs> no, Skyler's been the most consistent so far three weeks in, you can argue. And he's making plays ever since that one drop ball. So, uh, I'm very proud of him, especially like I said, he was start. He started on the second team. He's clearly getting enough looks. There's clearly like clearly a top four or five on this receiving squad now too. I think it's pretty set in stone. And honestly, I don't even see Skyler necessarily as strictly a slot. He can play anywhere, and that's just my personal opinion. But yeah. um, no, he he's looked he's looked the most consistent you could say out of this receiving group. And um, no, keep her moving. That's a that's a good pick, uh, Jake. What what improved for you on the offense? So I think the balance improved, and this is a little bit where I feel like they have to find their identity a little bit, um, you know, with the new offense and all that. So the first week against Buffalo was thirty-one pass and forty rush. We averaged six point one yards per pass, seven point nine yards per rush. So we were running the ball damn good, right? We didn't throw the ball very deep. We didn't. That's why I was calling for us to stretch the field vertically if you remember. And then Washington State, we had to throw the ball a little bit more because we were losing. So it was 40 to 29. We averaged 6.9 yards per pass. So that's a little bit better. But nice. we only ran the ball for 3.1 yards average. Yeah, nice. You like that one? Yeah, I got caught that. <laughs> Nothing gets by me. And then Georgia Southern, we had 31 pass and 38 rush. That's a, that is an all right ratio for me because we had a 7.9 yard average per pass and a 5.4 yard average per rush. Oh, that sounds if, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 7.9 nice. pass, 5.4 rush. If you, if you keep it there and you keep it around those numbers, you're still going to control the ball a little bit, but you can still do the hurry up stuff. You're still taking chunks. You're still getting first down. So for me, I feel like the balance was a little bit better and I'm going to look for that to keep improving and building on that. I like that. That sounds good to me. Uh, for me, what improved was the turnovers. The Badgers were a much more sure-handed, secure football team uh, than they were against Washington State and Buffalo. They had five turnovers in the first two games, had zero this week versus Georgia Southern. Um, mm. And what I'll say is Tanner Mordecai did bail out Bordellini on one goal line snap, did save him from there being a potential fumble there. So I'm going to talk about this when I get into my – my what needs to improve, but, um, but yeah. So Mike, looking at the offense after the Georgia Southern game, uh, what, what needs to improve on the offensive side of the ball? So I, I got the offensive line. We should be giving up, you know, less pressures, right? So this whole, so I, I'm actually going to go back to some, some stats here and more so is predicated with the court with, with Tanner, right? So it, there's been Tanner's had 88 dropbacks with no pressure. Okay. 86 of those plays, he's gotten a pass off. Sick, he's completed 63 three of them for 73%. Oh. 610 of his 700 yards total 
has come through that. Okay. Wow. 30 of those 63 completions have been for a first down. Okay? Damn. Oh. Yeah. So when he's not, he is an absolute baller when he's getting that protection. Now, Shit. he's had a total of 29 total pressures th- this year. Yeah. He's gotten 15 pass out of the 15 pass attempts he's had with that. He's only completed five of those for 90 yards, one touchdown and one interception. And that touchdown was to Skylar Bell when he against Washington State, where he got pressured, rolled out to his left, absolutely threw a dart. But no, like that's if we can protect Tanner Mordecai, he is going to be an absolute baller. And I'm gonna say it again this week. This is our guy. I'm telling you, if we like Tanner is a fit for this place, he's not bad at all. Uh, I, I think Wisconsin fans should quite frankly be pretty happy. We got him here for his sixth year. So um, he can, is an absolute baller. Tyler just said it. he's bailed us. He has bailed us out with his mobile, with being very, very mobile numerous times, not just the touchdown, but you guys know what I'm talking about when I say that, but very um, underrated. mobility. Just, yeah, exactly. So I think at the end of the day, if we can just give up less pressures, we can do some freaking damage. It's just a matter of time of executing. And another thing too, I guess, you know, depending how the, the old line could look this week, um, you know, Trey, Trey Wedding, for example, got, I think it was 50 snaps, like in combination of like the guard spots this past mm-hmm. weekend. So I think he might be predicated. He might be due for a start at some point. But I think the line rotation, they're still working that out yet uh, overall. So that's just something that I wanted to also point out with the, with the less pressures allowed. But, yeah, that's just incredible what can happen if we protect the Man. quarterback. Just That's really that's really eye-opening, pointing out what he can do. Like he's just picking teams apart, basically completing, yeah. completing three out of four passes, basically. That's, yeah. that's impressive. I like that a lot. Might have to uh, – you might have to send me that. I might have to put that out as a uh, as a as a graphic because that's that's impressive. I can do that. <laughs> um, just as I was looking for the Brewers starting lineup, um, I just saw that Cam Akers has been traded to the Vikings. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Sean McVay. Sean McVay hated that guy, dude. Dude, yeah, he he'll, did. He'll, he'll never say it on camera or in public, but he hated that guy. Yeah. God, him and him and Acres must have got into some freaking battles, man. I'm telling you, behind closed doors. Yeah. So yeah. Um. So that's happening. But all right. So back to Jake. Jake, what needs to improve out of the offense? Uh, first of all, Cam Akers gets to take two L's to the Packers this year instead of one. So congratulations. Second of all, I'm going to say Mordecai reads a defense better than Justin Fields with a clean pocket. Boom, boom. I'm firing shots. Uh, also Mordecai is the college version of Jared Goff. And that kind of makes me a little upset. You see Jared Goff splits when he's Fuck you for he's saying done. that. Cause it makes Dude. sense. Ah. Dude, you God see a splits, it. you see a splits. When he's pressured, he's dog shit. When he's not pressured, he's a God fucking Hall of Famer. Fuck you for that. <laughs> I could do it. Instantly, Mike said the pressured stats, and I was like, fuck Jared Goff. We got Jared Goff. He's a little faster. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Damn it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's out already now. I'm not going to um, forget that now, Dick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, 
for me, what to improve is getting off to a fast start. And I feel like every football team talks about this. How many times have we heard Roger say this in press conferences? How many times have we heard LaFleur, like, et cetera, et cetera, right? Getting off to a fast start just – it really gives you gives your guys in the sidelines more confidence, you know. We're going down the field. We're going to score right away. And, you know, you can there, – there's something for being insane getting off on the right foot, right? The defense can be a little bit more amped up. So – I wrote down some numbers here. Nothing crazy, but the first the first half, I wrote down the first halves of all the games. So we had eight drives in the first half versus Buffalo. We had two touchdowns, 213 yards. We ran 41 plays. We had four punts, an interception, and a Tanner Neal was one of the drives. So in the game against Washington State, we had six drives. We had three field goals, and they were kicking our ass. We only had 162 yards and six drives. It's not great. Uh, we ran 38 plays. We had two fumbles and one punt. Then we get to the game against Georgia Southern. We had one touchdown in our first seven drives, 211 yards, five punts, and one turnover on downs. Does that sound like winning football to you? Does that sound like a top 25 team? No. Hell so this no. team, I feel like, needs to be a little bit more aggressive. I'm looking for Longo to just – Call, just call some crazy shit right away. If we have to run a goddamn flea flicker, run a flea flicker. These are kids after all, right? Let's give them the juice. Give them some excitement. Let's give them something to look forward to. Like, let's just – whatever you got up your sleeve, Longo, pull it out on Friday because this team needs a shot in the arm real bad, and Longo's got to be the guy to give it to him in the form of play calling. We got to get off to a fast start. So, for me, what needs to improve on the offensive side of the ball is hands. Uh, Mike just brought up Skyler Bell and talked about how he's bounced back after dropping a touchdown late in the first half. Uh, Hayden Rucci, Hayden, Hayden's the tight end, right? Not and Nolan's yep. the offensive lineman. I do have my Rucci's yep. right. Okay, Hayden, Hayden Rucci dropped a or bobbled a reception. He didn't drop it, but he bobbled a reception. He still caught it, but the delay in securing the ball cost him the chance at a first down. If he just catches, turns, and runs, he's got space enough space between him and the defender that he's able to get to that first down but him bobbling that catch and then securing it and turning it the defender was able to get two steps closer to him and he ended up short of the first down um so between a couple drops and then guys letting the ball come to their chest instead of catching it with their hands i know the announcer said this with will pauling on a potential catch that he could have had for a first down Letting the ball come to his body, allow the defender to get a hand in and break up the pass instead of Will Paul and catching it here and having the ball in his hands before the defender even has a chance to get to it. Yeah, I got a question. That's for a good you call guys. out. Um, does Matt Millen work for Big Ten Network or does he work for Georgia Southern? Because listening to him talk, I literally could not tell. Almost <laughs> as bad as the announcers in the first week. Oh, Bro, man. You know who was bad? Was the freak uh, – who the hell called the Packers game? Was that Jonathan Vilma? Am I thinking correctly? Yeah, it was Vilma. Bruh, can you freaking get off your knees? Jesus Christ, dude. I couldn't uh, – I had to turn that shit off. I couldn't listen Ritter. to it anymore. He, he was mumbling at one point because you know what I'm saying. Jesus. <laughs> All right, let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. Mike, what did you see that improved on the defensive side of the ball? So I had to go back and look at this twice, twice actually, this stat. Um, my, my, I think they improved on getting two pressured pressures to the quarterback, total pressures, right? Yep. Pro, fo- pro football focus, 
We had 26 total pressures this past Damn. week. Damn. 26. No, I know. I had to trust me. Holy I had to double shit. and triple check this. So six Pretty came from Daryl Peterson, four from our boy CJ, three from Muma, and three from James Thompson. Those were the top four. But cool. that that was good, right? But the biggest call out I actually gonna I am gonna have on this is, is uh, Mr. Ben Barton who got his first real action. Yeah, good week. call. Um, you know he got that deflection and that that's what led to the CJ gets pick. So yeah. uh, and Fickle absolutely raved about him uh, on Monday this um this week for the his. I have a thought on that conference. that play. So, that was that's good to see because I, I think we can all agree that we have we don't really have our. D-line in general isn't necessarily set in stone. It's definitely a rotation. They're still trying to figure it out. So when you see a guy that's, you know, been the two, even three deep, and he's working his way up to get some of those reps and he's making plays, I mean, that that's nothing – that's good signs, especially for our defense. So um, that I had to make sure I got, got a call out on that. And um, different guys on the line are starting to make plays. And, yeah, we're getting – we're – Getting close to the quarterback, we just uh, just got to execute on, on him finishing that off. But you know, that, 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 that yeah, Mullins that. can get off the injury report too. That would be a really big boost. Exactly. So that's another thing to look at yeah. this week, and even by the time we play Rutgers. So I want to throw this out there because you brought this up. So I'm going to tie it into my segment, and then I'll go to Jake. But you mentioned the Barton tip and CJ gets interception. I think CJ would have intercepted that pass anyways. The announcer's like, oh, he broke wide open on this out route. I don't think he did. I think CJ saw that out route coming because you can see him start backing away and he goes to cover that flat out route. Yeah. I think CJ would have intercepted that pass anyways. He was definitely in the area. I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna watch that play after this. Just uh, yeah. I'm gonna I, watch just that. go back okay. and take a look at it. I think he would have picked that off, but that ties into my turnovers, is what improved for the Badgers. So the Badgers got not one, not two, not three. Not four, not five, but six turnovers in this game. Literally Damn. flipped their turnover differential from minus five to plus one in one game. This is the game LeBron was talking about. Huh? I know. I, I, thought, I was hoping you'd get that reference. Um, so five interceptions from a quarterback who averaged one per game, and then Mayma Jung Meta diving on a fumble, also by the QB. So six turnovers by the Georgia Southern quarterback. Uh, who threw what 52 passes, which is just nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. but that's going to tie in when we talk about Purdue in a minute. So, uh, Jake, what did you see that improved for the Badgers defense? I like that you called out their their uh, offense, uh, the 52 pass attempts, because man, they completely flipped their offensive playbook. Man, yeah, they were like almost dead last last year in uh, pass attempts. I saw it during the game, which was freaking nuts. But I'm going to play off Mikey here, but play calling. Um, is definitely something that I've seen improve. And the thing about the three three five is you can run so many different kinds of blitzes. Even if you show a single high look, you don't know if that safety's coming, which we did bring him this week. Obviously, Hunter Wooler got a sack. But you can run a lot of stunts. Um, the no stack of playing a zero technique basically allows him to not be double teamed because then you're just leaving a gigantic hole in your offensive line, and you don't know if that linebacker's coming through. So playing a zero technique and a three three five is – something that I really like. And I like the combinations of blitzes that we're running. Um, I meant to look up the blitz percentages and I did not get to it, but I will have it for you guys on Friday. I'll make a little, little reel for you guys, but you know, the, I just, I definitely noticed more blitzes and more stunts being used. And I like, I feel like CJ gets in general 
is getting better since the first game. So I was watching him really closely in the first game for obvious reasons, but he's getting better, in my opinion. All right. So, Mike, what's something you're looking for for the defense after this Georgia Southern game that needs to improve? <clears throat> yeah, sure. I kind of mentioned it before. It's giving up uh, the big plays. Yeah. We've done that countless times this year. Uh, we allowed seven. I think this this past Saturday alone, we allowed seven plays of 15 yards or more. Jesus. Cannot happen. Yeah, we rough. gave up 300. Yeah, we gave up 383 yards through the air as well. I know six interceptions. That's great. That's great and all. But if we're playing a team, if we're playing a team, Georgia Southern's not bad. I know you said that before, but we cannot get away with that in the Big Ten at, at all. Like Especially that's got to go for sure. Yeah, seven plays of 15 yards or more. We gave up. I don't know. Again, I mentioned it before in terms of like it. I think it's still more so of this transition with with the scheme going from that man to going to that man to man coverage when we're we've mostly been predicated to a zone in, in the past. Um, I, I think it falls in line with just like getting the schematics down and, and everything on that end. Uh, I thought it was really interesting too that with the cornerback specifically, what the snap count was. Um, you know, Alexander Smith, for example, he we think he's like cornerback one, right? Well, mm-hmm. he only got 35 snaps this past weekend. Hallman, mm-hmm. Ricardo Hallman got all 82 of them, Jason Matry got 77, and Nizir Four Queen actually got 47. So I thought that was growing on me. Yeah. So I think that that was a little interesting to call out, especially Hmm. when, you know, going into the season, I hundred percent, you know, thought Alex Alexander Smith was cute, like cornerback number one, for sure. Uh, I don't know if there's anything going on with that. I just wanted to point that out, but I, again, I think it might be going back to just the scheme, like the scheme. And just for me personally, I think it could go back to the scheme and just like, maybe they don't just don't, quite get it yet or maybe i don't know we're gonna find out you know this week especially against purdue um is it not just a scheme can our guys actually play you know prep press coverage or, or man-to-man or are we gonna like we're just gonna we're gonna find out more especially as big 10 play kicks in yeah. but i thought that was one of the biggest call outs for sure so jake what needs to improve on the defense for you third down defense this was the easiest choice i had to make in my yeah. opinion um so against Buffalo, we allowed two for 15 on third downs, which is great. Uh, Washington State went seven for 15, and Georgia Southern went nine for 17. So if you add all the totals up, it's 18 for 47. That's 38%. That's way too high. Mm-hmm. But hold on. You add in the last two weeks, they're 16 to 32. We're giving a 50 yeah. goddamn percent on third downs the last two weeks. Yeah. That is. That is unacceptable in my book. That needs to come down by like yes. 10% at least. I don't give a shit about transition year. That, that, that becomes a point of pride, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, man to man, you got to look yourselves in the face and be like, yo, this shit ain't cool. 50% ain't cool. Like, you're, you're there's so much stuff that's predicated <laughs> on third down defense. You take your offense out of a rhythm. You don't get yourself into a rhythm. You're allowing the offense to dictate the pace of the game. You know, look, we could look at the Packers game. The Packers allowed the Falcons to pick up third down and be in short yardage situations consistently, consistently, and they controlled the pace of that game, especially in the second half and the fourth quarter. And what happened? You fuck around, you find out, right? Yep. They keep fucking around with this 50% third down percentage. We're going to get our ass whooped pretty soon here, uh, especially at the end of October. So let's uh, let's get it together, boys. 
So this kind of ties into that. But for me, the tackling needs to improve. And unfortunately, it's a yeah. common theme with football teams in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, some missed tackles allowed Georgia Southern to avoid some tackles for loss. So the Badgers could have really had a big game. And I think that kind of ties into Mikey talking about the, the amount of pressures they had. Mm-hmm. But some missed tackles to avoid some tackles for loss before the half allowed Georgia Southern to get into a position where they had a chance for points before the half. Yeah, mm-hmm. We got lucky and they completely just missed a field goal that was just not even remotely close. Like you could have flipped the goalpost around one more time and then it might've been good, but it was, it was pretty bad as far as where that field goal went. But just the fact that Georgia Southern had an opportunity to get points before halftime, um, it really just, it needs to improve his tackling. It's just one of those, those things where Jake's kind of talking about, you know, little things and doing things like that. The word that comes to mind for me is details. Yep. For me, tackling is a detail thing. And it's just something that it's, it's so fundamental. Like, like I do fundamental failures for basketball teams. If I were to do fundamental failures for a football team, missed tackles would absolutely be one of the things. Uh, it's just it's something that is so fundamental to having a good defense as being a sure tackling team and making the first tackle and rallying to the ball, which I do think, to the Badgers' credit, I do think they're pretty good at rallying to the ball, but they need to make those tackles. That's what's going to make this defense elite, arguably more than anything, is just making those tackles. Yeah. It, just, it, it just has to be better, in my opinion. It's just really – it's not a negotiable thing. It just has to be better. Agreed. All right. So let's talk Friday night. We're two days away from game day this week now. Uh, Mike, what are you looking for from the Badgers offense against Purdue? I think the first thing is going to be what's the O-line going to look like? Uh, I mentioned it earlier with Trey Wedding getting a, like 50. I think it's uh, it was right around 50 snaps. I'm going to look, that, look at this real quick here. All right. And then, yeah, Trey Wedding got 51 snaps. That is more than Michael Ferdney and more, way more than Joe Huber, who are both the starting guards. So I think we're going to see a change at guard at some point. And Jake Renfro, he's still up in the air, I believe. I know Fickle yeah. keeps saying that he wants him back this week, but if he's not going to be back this week, then he's going to be back in time for Rutgers. So uh, I'm looking at the offensive line and what and what the, the new lineup is on that. And – I guess I'm going to call like Jake kind of mentioned it before with Longo busting out the playbook. I I'm looking to see if there's going to be some new shit being released. Now that big 10 play has started. Maybe there's, maybe he's got more hat, like more tricks in his hat or whatever, but um, I'm looking to see what, what other stuff he's got going on, what, what other stuff he's cooking. So yeah, the old line, what the old line is going to look like. And if there's any new plays that we're going to, we're going to see. Jake, what are you looking for from the offense? Just to continue that balance, um, I I wanted to stay on brand for myself with things that I pick. So staying on balance, running the ball well, staying ahead of the sticks, picking up your own third downs, giving your defense rest, and please, for the love of freaking God, throw the ball down the field. I understand the short game is kind of like an extended run game, and the intermediate is nice when you need plays, but – we have to start threatening these safeties, especially one on Purdue that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Spoiler alert. He is clearly by far their best player on their defense. Oh, yeah. Um, for me, 
I'm looking at it. So Purdue has allowed the most touchdowns in the Big Ten with 12. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm looking for really more of the, the efficient up-tempo offense that we saw at times against Georgia Southern. Uh, there were several drives where I was like, yes, this is what potential this offense holds for the future. There were several drives, and there was one play, such beautiful play design, and I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, if that's what Wisconsin's air raid turns into, I'm going to have a lot of fun watching this. And it was Tanner Mordecai in the pistol, running back next to him, play action, so they run play action, and then Tanner Mordecai rolled out and has the choice to throw or run. So they ran a play action quarterback option for Tanner Mordecai, and I'm like, yes. There's so many wrinkles to that play call that it's like there, that's what the offensive potential holds. And Mike brought up before with Tanner Mordecai's underrated mobility. Opposing defenses have to respect that from Tanner Mordecai. It's not just like, oh, okay, well, you know, this guy's not going to run. Tanner Mordecai will run. Yeah, he will. Wait till we get a true dual threat, dude. Wait till we get a true dual threat. We are going to shit on some people. Um, so that, that one play specifically, but over the course, and this was mostly in the third quarter, but during the 28 unanswered points that the Badgers scored against Georgia Southern, there was some, some really good stuff from the offense. I like the tempo, the balance, like Jake keeps bringing up. I'm really excited to see this continue to expand. So it's going to, it's going to come back a little bit when we get into some score predictions, but, uh, Mike, what are you looking for from the Badgers defense against Purdue's offense? just trying to cut down on giving up those big play big plays i mean they're leading they're leading receiver Dion burks he's got nine catches 221 yards three touchdowns and an average per reset yard uh average yards per reception of 24.6 basically 25 so yeah uh, that, that does him. not that does not fit well with with uh with our with our defense because mm-hmm. of we give up all the big plays as of right now. So yep. uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully cutting down on the big plays. We cut down on the big plays. Our defense could look so much different, I feel like. So, um, yeah, don't give up the big plays. Jake, what are you looking for from the Badgers defense against Purdue? <clears throat> Glad you brought on brought up Deion Burks. I was going to bring him up too, but for a different reason. Me too. <laughs> Stop the run. If you look at their schedule, you go through their games, they won one game. They're one and two. He scored two touchdowns in one game. That was the last game they played. Didn't score a touchdown, and then he scored a touchdown in their first game. The two games that he scored touchdowns, they were passing the ball really well. They lost. The game that they ran the ball crazy against Syracuse, they won that game, and Deion Burks was basically a non-factor in that one. Hmm. Stop the run. Sell out. Let them get his. Let's run the ball ourselves. Let's get out of there with a win. So that's interesting because I put in the, in the, my defensive notes is that we talked about Devin Mockaby last year. As a freshman in 2022, he was really yeah. good. Yeah, he, is. Um, he will 100% be my focal point for the Badgers to be successful in this game. So far this season, he's only averaging 3. Yards, 3.8 yards per carry. Do not let that fool you. Devin Mockaby is a very good running back, and we saw it last year. He's got tons of potential. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing with uh, the Badgers defense against Purdue's offense, Purdue's played three games this season, right? They've only kicked one field goal. I'll tell you what changed for Purdue's offense this year, though. They lost a quarterback to the NFL and a wide receiver to the NFL. So that's a big, you know, you know, skill position change for yeah. 
for him. That's why he's probably averaging less yards per carry. So yeah, but he's he's a very good running back. So don't let yeah, that three point eight yards per carry fool you. He's good. He's um, Mike, what's the matchup you're watching for this game? You know, I would just say I'm, I'm still going to be repetitive on the offensive line. The offensive line and what we do. Uh, I'm hoping our running game definitely improves this week collectively. So I'm just looking for that new potential new offensive line. Uh, I still have a feeling it's going to be changed this week. I'm looking, looking to see how we adapt and just like our straight up in the trenches, offensive line versus defensive line. Okay. Jake, what's the matchup you're watching? I'm watching Braylon Allen versus Dylan Thineman. That is their safety. Um, he has 31 tackles and two interceptions. He leads the team. And if you add the next two guys, second and third on that defense, total tackles, he has more than those two. So he's so, like our Hunter Waller. Yes, he is basically our Hunter yes. Waller. And as our star versus their star, Allen must win to establish physicality. And like Jay Love said, give this ta- damn team the juice. Run them over a few times, Braylon. I'm with that. So my matchup, everything that has been said about the matchup that I'm watching has already been said during this show. I am watching Ricardo Hallman versus Deion Burks. So mm. Ricardo Hallman got beat for the biggest play of the game last week by either team. That 68-yard reception that uh, I think it was Travion Blaylock saved from being a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And you already mentioned Deion Burks averaging 24.6 yards per reception. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on Ricardo Hallman versus Deion Burks. So before we get to some score predictions, Mike, what's your key to the game for the Badgers? Key to the game. Protect the damn quarterback. <laughs> I, I said that's valid. That's valid. Protect valid. the damn quarterback. I gave you guys those stats earlier when we yeah. have a uh, once if we can protect Tanner Mordecai, the dude can go off in a game. Okay. We just gotta give him the, the right protection that he needs. And Purdue is a great opportunity to showcase what we can do on the pass because they are not the greatest defense out there on comparison to maybe some other teams in the Big Ten. I think this could be a potential coming out part if we protect the damn quarterback. So I want to see Tanner Mordecai have a game. Me too. Uh, Jake, what's your key to the game? All right, so I kind of cheated because I found one thing late and I found it interesting. So Badgers win if um, they keep forcing turnovers. Purdue has eight fumbles in three games this season. So they turn the ball over quite a bit. They have three passing touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns, and an interception, so stop that run. And the thing that I found interesting is Purdue averages giving up 70 penalty yards a game. The Badgers are around 45. So stay clean, force those turnovers, take advantage of it, keep Mordecai clean, and we're going to go get out of there with a W, baby. So mine is going to foreshadow my score predictions a lot. But for me, balancing the run in the past, like Jake has talked about, but allowing the options. So I'm going to kind of combine some things you guys have talked about. And, Mike, I agree with you. I I agree that Tanner Mordecai is the guy. And if he's protected, I really think that my heart score prediction is possible with this team if, like we do with our heart predictions, everything goes right and we're optimistic on it all. So for me, the key is to balance the run in the pass, but to allow options. So to trust Tanner Mordecai to make those options, to to run, you know, whether it be a quarterback option that he can give to the running back or to take the ball down and to pass. So 
just let Torn let just let Tanner Mordecai run the offense is really kind of what I'm going to with this. So Mike, give us your score first score prediction from the head. So I, I need the defense to, to prove it to me here. But I got I got 30 to 27 Wisconsin. I think Vacos is gonna come in and hit a game winner with like a minute to go. All right. Uh, so 30 27 Wisconsin. All right. 30 27. Okay. Tyler, what's yours? You give me when yours you first. said when you started off by saying 30 to 20, and I'm like, oh shit, he's gonna say in mine. Mine is 30 to 20. 30 to 20. Okay. That's a good score. I like that. Um, I went 28-24. Oh, close. All right. All right, let's go from the heart. Mike, give us your score prediction from the heart. I'm going to say I, I love whatever your, margin I, is, I just, whatever your margin of victory is, I bet mine's bigger. I love I, – I just love the potential of what our offense – what I think it can be. So I got 38-24, to 24, Wisconsin, from the heart. Ooh. Jake, you want to go next? Mine's mine's a little outlandish. I'm not even going to lie to you. All right. Kind of like mine was last week, but I was completely wrong. Mine, um, mine's worse. I'm going to go – I if everything goes right from the heart, 31-13. All right. Oh, boy. It's I, – I really feel good about what I saw from those drives from the offense, and I really feel that if it's like – this is the first Big Ten game for Fickle, and Purdue has been a team that's kind of trapped us in the past, but I'm really looking for the Badgers to kind of lay down some some wood and really kind of be like, you know, we lost we lost to Washington State, but we're here to take the Big Ten, and this is going to be kind of like a coming out party for the Badgers. Okay. I'm going to say 40 to 6. Bro, what? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. This is the, this is really the first like really big victory margin I've predicted from the head or the heart. Um, but I'm really putting my eggs in the basket of the Badgers have it figured out in week four. Damn, that's ballsy. Uh, I give you props. I hope you're right. Good. And I think we've won. I think it's 16 in a row against Purdue or something like that now. By the way, or some there's a, a stat that we got Wisconsin Purdue series. I, I want to say it's 16 in a row or some crazy stat line like that. My prediction from the heart was four points bigger than yours. This was this week. My prediction last week. Ah, okay. Remember, I, I said 58 to 20, so that was a 38. Yours is 34, which you're allowing six points, which is fucking yeah. nuts, dude. Yeah. That is crazy. I it, it really comes down to the secondary. It does. I thought 13 was gonna be nuts. I was like, bro, they're gonna laugh at me for saying 13. <laughs> I but just really, I just I was like I need our defense nuts. to like not give a point. Like just show me one week and then maybe I can get down to the teens one, one day. And right now, <laughs> I, I just got I gotta see it. I just gotta see it. And and that's the thing, is like I'm trying to with this prediction, like I'm trying to get ahead of the seeing it to believe it. Yep. Like I do think the trends are going in the right direction, especially with the turnovers and the offense being better and not turning the ball over. I just, I don't know. I, it felt right. It felt, it felt bold, but in an, in a scenario where everything goes correctly, 
and you know this being the more optimistic of the score predictions uh i'm just putting it out into the world and we'll see what happens if it's wrong i'll say something about it next week and i'll be like man was i wrong but (laughs) but we will be back talking about this next wednesday when this game happens um it's going to be happening friday night while jake and i are with simon and bryant uh simon Mm -hmm. will be here with us this week uh um I think Jake, I, I think you're more excited for Simon to be on the show than Simon is to be on the show. I know, dude. I'm so I miss Simon. <laughs> Simon's such a good guy, man. And he Simon's good every episode for like one or two things. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's like a smart guy thing to think about. <laughs> so so Jake and I will be back on Friday night, and then we will see Mike back next Wednesday. So we will see you then. Sounds good. Later, fellas. Have a good night. Johnson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.